0: I'm Evan Applegate, I'm a cartographer, and on very expensive maps, I talk to better cartographers. This week's episode features Gabriel Camus, a French architect and artist who has spent the last five years drawing an endless fictional urban landscape, 20 inches wide and 20 feet long so far.
1: My name is uh, Gabriel Camus, I'm a French architect and artist uh, currently living in Toronto, Canada. It's age seven or eight I was already drawing cities in an axonometric format it came quite naturally so I I never drew a perspective it always seemed strange to me uh, because the cities that I drew were always invented so they were never taken from I was never looking at something and drawing it on the spot it was always after traveling or experiencing it that I would do a reinterpretation of it and put it on paper the idea was to get almost like the to the essence of the landscape that I'd seen that day, what was the main idea of it, and in that sense, I never drew, uh, I never drew real cities, real places, but I've always drawn very realistic places uh, that look like the place of experience. They're all invented, and sometimes they can always, they can also be a mix of influences. So, a French suburb will meet with an American desert landscape, and. It all comes together as one. One drawing. Is there something specific that jumps out at you when you view a landscape? Well, I've always been more interested in the in the man, man or human-made elements, which are everywhere. Even in the middle of the countryside, there's always so many man-made elements like electric poles, farms, even fields. Uh, and I've I've always been interested in the in the standardized features, features, the things that are really repetitive and standard elements of landscape, such as electric posts, highway interchanges, fields, and even, even buildings can be very, very standardized uh, nowadays. So I think these are the main elements I, I look at.
0: Where there's repetition and regularity. Exactly. Have you drawn these kinds of landscapes in your education or
1: professionally, or has this always been a hobby? So it's always been a hobby, but this hobby, since I had it from a very young age, led everyone to tell me that I should be an architect, uh, which I found interesting. And eventually I trained to become an architect. And I think it's been always a little bit separate, the drawings and the architecture but at the same time they've influenced each other. The architecture has taught me so much about representation and tools of representation, which I didn't have before. And then I've been able to use them when I'm drawing, while the habit to have always been creating and, and drawing uh, from a very young age was very useful when I entered architecture because I was already used to uh, representing things and projecting myself to things that don 't exist yet
0: was it a different skill or a different to create an architectural illustration or elevation of a place that did exist rather than your invented landscapes
1: uh, yeah for sure that, that was that was uh, that was an adjustment uh, but that was I was always really happy to to learn that. Uh, how to measure a place that exists and how to represent it. It's really something I had been missing. But the scale of architecture, though, was totally different than the scale of the drawing. The, the drawings are very much of a larger picture. Uh, we see a full city or a full neighborhood, and I don't get too much into the detail. While in architecture, when we started to get more into construction details, uh, I, was, I was really lost. The
0: details of a facade or a, just one singular building?
1: Yes, exactly. That was a totally different world, um, which I I really enjoyed representing it. and I was very curious about it, um, but it was totally different from the drawings. That's why they've been a little bit separated. I see them as the drawings and architecture at two quite different scales.
0: And right now, are you working in an architectural firm?
1: I worked for two years in Toronto as an architect in a in an heritage architecture company and I just quit my job and my partner and I are leaving for three months trans-Canadian road trip. I'm taking also a bit of time to totally develop my, my drawing projects. I'm very excited about it, uh, especially going through Canada where I think I'm going for the first time to experience true wilderness. Uh, my drawings are very influenced by where I grew up, so France, very urban landscape, or very, there's a lot of man-made controlled elements, while now we're really going to be in remote, wild places, so I'm curious to see how that will influence the drawings.
0: Where in France, specifically, did you grow up or experience these urban environments?
1: So I grew up in the suburbs uh, west of Paris, which was an interesting place to grow up, um, it was former industrial cities and uh, there was, so in the end of the 19th century or beginning of the 20th century, it was, the, there was a, the river, the Seine river that flows uh, from Paris. Uh, it was lined with factories and there was a huge potential of brick factories. And in most cities, these are, have been reconverted into offices or lofts or very attractive neighborhoods and in the city where i grew up all of this was just totally erased and as i as i grew up it was at the end of it but i saw entire streets being just demolished for uh, more recent development so i think that, that really influenced me this uh, this constantly changing urban environment due to the pressure the developing pressure of the city
0: So there were no converted, handsome, old mill buildings. It was all wiped out in favor of brand new developments. Exactly.
1: Um, Which I think is a shame and a waste of a very, a great potential that was just wasted. And nobody really cared for it because it's just outside of Paris and just people are, there's so much to see in Paris that no one really cared about what was outside.
0: So you're embarking on this three-month road trip. Are you gonna take your notebook and sketch while you're out there?
1: Yes, uh, that that would be the plan. Um, I'm I'm really excited to to see how much it's going to to influence what I draw. I would like to continue on observing and then reinterpreting it, which I think which is the part I enjoy the most. I'm not so interested in realistic representation of what I see, but more what my brain does with what I see afterwards, if that makes sense. The cities I draw, they are, they are not really, they look realistic, but actually some elements are way smaller than they should be. Some elements take way more place than they should be um, because they go through my subjective vision.
0: Returning to your long mapping project, can you give me an idea of how you started it and what made you want to embark on it?
1: Uh, I would say this project is a bit of a a dream come true. I've been always fascinated by cities and how huge they are, how we live in in cities that are tens of even hundreds of kilometers wide. So I always wanted to draw a city that was on a very long or wide uh, support. And as uh, I started as a teenager, I was drawing on rolls of of paper, so I drew one that was 15 meters long and another one that was 30 meters long. And I remember just really enjoying this fluidity, going through different landscapes and and, uh, mixing them all together, all these references that I had, so. And for this drawing, I, I had given up on the bigger drawings for quite a while and then I decided to come back to it with this drawing, which is the same idea but with much more detail and a bit more personal.
0: Did you say you had a, when you were a teenager, you had a 30 meter long drawing?
1: Yes. How wide? Let's say 40 centimeters wide. All in ink, yes.
0: Have you ever displayed that in full?
1: I have not. uh, It was so big that I I couldn't even unroll it in my parents' apartment. And I didn't really want to take it outside because I was afraid. Since it's so long, that one part of it would get ruined and yeah, so I, I don't think Even myself, I've never seen it in full. I've always had to unroll only parts of it.
0: Oh, well You need a warehouse exhibition. (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) And for this one that you've been working on, when did you start it? So I started it after a trip to Texas for my master's degree. to Western Texas. So that's where it starts as a lonely road in a desertic landscape, which I almost never draw mostly natural landscapes. That was. That was new to me. Uh, I was very inspired by this, the immensity of these Texan landscapes, uh, and then it's been on and off since then. So it was in, the trip was in twenty eighteen.
0: Started in twenty eighteen and then continued occasionally, not continuously since then.
1: Exactly, a lot has happened since then. Uh, I I moved to Estonia for one year for my exchange. Then I graduated. Then I moved to Canada. So it's been really on and off and all these different places and experiences have also uh, influenced the way the drawings changed. What are the actual dimensions? At the beginning I started drawing on on paper that was 50 by 65 centimeters because I was at my parents place and then when I started moving to all these different places I cut the place in half so it would become a 30 by 50 uh, centimeter paper so slightly bigger than a tabloid format And this way I was able to to carry it everywhere with me. And so I would put two drawings together to make a plate. So the drawing now has 10 different plates, which all have their own identity. And then for Instagram purposes, I I cut it into squares that are 12 by 12 centimeters. Is it five meters long now? A little bit more than that. I think with the current development I'm doing, it's almost to six meters.
0: Do you have a final destination in mind, a landscape it's going to end up at, or a target length, or just whenever you want to stop?
1: I'd like to keep it going and going, uh, and I, I'd, like, I'd like it to go through a lot of different landscapes. I, I don't really have an end in, in mind. That would be the dream, to make this, this city that never ends.
0: I'm struck that you said you're not used to or you don't prefer to draw natural landscapes because your natural landscapes ring just as true as your urban ones. The way you draw the land cover, the rivers, uh, a pivot irrigated field, it's all very faithful and as realistic as, say, your rail lines and electrical towers. You really have both forms there.
1: Thank you. Yeah, the beginning of this drawing was interesting. this, This Texas trip really made me want to draw more natural elements, but I never did really research on it. So, for instance, if I see uh, the pivot based irrigation, I never really research how it works. I just take from my memory what I saw and it might be, I don't know if it's going to be very accurate to how it works or if I just saw parts of it and it actually doesn't represent at all how the system works. If that makes sense.
0: I see. It's all impressionistic. Yes. And do you do pencil first over with ink or it's all one ink line?
1: It depends. For this drawing, I, I really want it to look, to look good and to have a, a composition. So I draw I draw a, the outline first and then with the pencil, very rough outline of the plate. And then as I progress, I go with the pencil a second time and I draw more in detail. And then I cover in ink. So there's when I'm drawing with the ink, there's almost no no room for innovation too much because it's been decided before. Uh, But I've had other drawings where I just take the ink and and draw without planning anything.
0: And do you have references in front of you? Some of your sections of the drawing have very complex interchanges, keeping track of nine lanes of traffic. Are you looking at something or just freehanding that from
1: memory? Uh, Yeah, just uh, so I I, I do plan them though before with the pencil but uh, yeah, I I traced them before, and I try to make sure that all the branches work. I think there's one part in the drawing where, where one gets lost, but usually they, they work.
0: I <laughs> also noticed that you have occasional introduction of color into this drawing, orange for the highway or red for, for buildings and these new stamps. Is there a thematic reason for that, or you just wanted to try, to try something new?
1: This is a, an example of where architecture has influenced me a little bit, has influenced the drawing a little bit. I worked on renovation project for my, my master thesis, a renovation of former roundhouses, and all our documents were showing black as existing or the parts that are supposed to be saved and red as the parts that are supposed to be renovated. And I found that was a very efficient way of, of uh, representation. So I used it for the drawing as part of this changing landscapes that I was drawing. Um, the red symbolizing what's new or what's to become uh, while the black was the existing. And for the stems, this is more of a will to experiment uh, a way of representing, standardizing the elements that are already standard in the landscape. So I, was, I created stems of trees uh, and now of uh, more of a Haussmann building in Paris because this is an element that has been replicated everywhere. So the, the idea would be to make the standard element very standard and then draw by hand what's, what's unique to that place, that intersection.
0: And how do you make
1: the stamps? I carve them into a block of some kind of rubber and I carve it with a special knife and it makes a stamp.
0: And had you done that before or thought, I'm just going to try to make a stamp, see how it turns out?
1: No, i never tried that before. Uh, But it's always been a little bit of a a dream of mine to to do that. Mm -hmm. Also to get a little bit more contrast in the drawing, I've always drawn only line work. And this time there's more plain surfaces in ink, which hopefully will make things pop out a little bit more.
0: Were you influenced by other axonometric illustrators like Herman Bollman, Tadashi Ishihara, the Turgot map of Paris? I was wondering if you've had seen all those other uh, illustrations of cities
1: in this style. So I've seen some of them later, but uh, when I started drawing the, the axonometries as a kid, I, I always wonder how it came to me because I, it really developed this process on my own and I don't really remember having a a revelation when seeing something, if, if that makes sense. It all came later where I was like, oh, other people are doing similar things or drawing axonometries.
0: Do you have a plan to display it this time? I hope you don't uh, leave it on the roll in your parents' house forever because I'd love to see this displayed somewhere.
1: I'd love to display it, really. It, it, would, be, it would be amazing. I, I don't have a plan on the short term, but one day, hopefully
0: when you return from your road trip, do you think you're going to return to architecture or do more illustration or?
1: I'd love to do dro- the drawings a little bit more professionally, uh, maybe as a side thing uh, on the first time, but yes, when coming back from the road trip, I the plan is really to, to develop the drawing uh, further and for it not to be only a hobby anymore. Um, I have lots, the, the drawing that I show on Instagram is only one drawing that i've made but i i do a a variety of drawings so i have other axonometric drawings like this one but i also do maps which is perfect for this this uh, podcast because i've drawn a few transit maps and i have drawn also maps inspired of uh of roadmaps so i'd like to be able to show more of my work where can i see those i
0: want to see those maps
1: (laughs) so far there only in my computer or at my friend's place. So I am working on a website, which hopefully will be out really soon. Well,
0: that's a good target before you leave. Let the world see.
1: I'd love to do that.
0: You said you mentioned you had other long maps in this style that were not the ones you post. Are they a similar type of an endless urban landscape or are they different?
1: So I have these other uh, axonometric drawings, which are more on the smaller format and which are ended, let's say, so on a let's say, A4 or A3 formats, and I don't plan on continuing them. I have other drawings where I drew one, like an A3, and then I thought, oh, it would be nice to add something to the left. and I put another A3 next to it, and in the end, it's like 10 or five drawings long, so.
0: They tend to grow, huh? <laughs> exactly. Are there any illustrators or map makers that have
1: influenced you or whose works you like? Artists I follow on, on Instagram uh, recently, I really like one named Julien S.K.P. <laughs> He's making very detailed illustration of buildings and then rendering them, but all in, in line work, it's very precise, very beautiful. Um, and it, it gets to that level of detail which, where I would never have the patience to, be, to, to go to, which is more the details of the building than the details of the city. I really also like the account uh, Maxwell Illustration, who also does something I'm not able to do, which is including life, cars, people uh, in the city. Uh, All my cities are void of people, and it's it's, uh, something I've never really explored. I've always been interested in the city itself, but when I see people who are able to represent both at the same time and very well, it always impresses me.
0: You don't enjoy drawing people or cars, or I just noticed that there's, <laughs> there's no one on the road.
1: Yeah, the cities are totally empty. No, I, I don't I don't enjoy it as much. Uh, especially at this scale, the people would just be little little dots, and I, I think they would almost uh, it would almost have to be have to say uh, the the drawing would look cluttered in a sense. It's uh, but I'm also conscious sometimes it can look a bit cold just the city in itself. Yeah, I, I was just curious about the podcast, how you how you chose people, and what, what was the, the common factor?
0: It's just my taste, whoever I think makes nice maps. The only common denominator is, did you spend a lot of time making this? That's the hardest thing to fake.
1: Yeah, thousands of hours, <laughs> for sure. Uh, there was also a interested about the, the term maps I think I've never described my my drawing as maps and now uh, that I think about it they they are a little bit like a map because a perspective an axonometry is not a perspective, it's not real it's not really a realistic representation. It's it's a bit halfway in a sense.
0: I think of a map as any representation of a territory. With your work, although it's a contrived, imagined place, I think, oh, I've driven past that. I know what it's like to be on that highway and see the electrical lines ticking past.
1: Yeah, it's very familiar landscape, but most of it is very familiar landscape. We've well, often been asked, why don't I do sci-fi or utopian cities, and I'm always a bit more interested in the everyday landscape. I find our cities to be already impressive enough They just so fascinate me and they scare me also a little bit at the same time. And I think that's that's what I want to show. I think our cities are already utopian or dystopian, depending on how we see them.
0: A modern city, which has to deliver so much energy and take away so much, just electricity, transport, garbage collection, water, then the governance, someone to pay the garbage men, the police, firemen. It's all so complex and that it is one of the most common things across human culture. You can go anywhere on planet Earth and see something that kind of resembles a city. Like, oh, yeah, have people living next to each other.
1: Yes, exactly. And even now, some, some of the, the cities that I draw, they, like the cities tend to be more uniform, especially the very utilitarian places. So highway interchanges, industrial zones, they, they look the same absolutely everywhere. Um and often also fascinated by, yeah, I've been fascinated by the city and also scared of it in the sense that a highway interchange for instance is a wonderful place, it's beautiful with all the, all the roads, the, the curves of the bridges and so, and then I think to myself, but if the car was to stop here I'd actually be in a, in a place that's hostile to me, that's not at all made for the human even though it's made for humans to, to have a more convenient life let's say so it's I think it's it's really it's at the core of the drawings there's this fascination mixed with negative feelings which maybe repulsion or
0: I feel this way when I'm I used to spend a lot of time driving along the freeways of Vermont which is very rural in the median there would be what looks like an absolutely gorgeous meadow beautiful conifer trees and I'm like that is such a great picnic spot for absolutely no one (laughs) yes Things that look like they're friendly to humans, but there's nothing for you there. In fact, you'd be actively prohibited from using it in a way that your brainstem would like. Like, oh, tree, sit, have a picnic.
1: Yeah, I I see what you mean. I've seen this as well in Canada, and I always wonder if there's life in the middle. It means that animals must cross cross its deadly highway all the time. It's it's extremely dangerous.
0: (laughs) I understand what you mean about the mild menace of this kind of landscape. That's what I like about how continuous your illustration is from the empty landscape to the dense and everything in between. All of that is a human-made landscape. There's no wild space here, even if it has little wilderness patches. This is all touched by people and formed to our end. Yes. And also what you said about how there are such common forms around the world, thanks to concrete rebar and CAD software, there are only a few forms that every city converges on like the eight lanes interchange even that used to be idiosyncratic like i need to move water around now all that infrastructure looks the same a dam a weir i need to move electricity all the pylons kind of look the same
1: exactly yes that's why i often come back to these standardized elements they they really take a central part in the in the drawing for sure um, and and about that, that continuity that you, you talked about I think the idea of having the drawings yeah continuous in one drawings it's, it's also a, a central theme. Um, I always walk everywhere and I'm so interested as how places one place becomes another place and how you go from the city center to an industrial zone and this often is a quite brutal transition and I, I like having this, this city on, on this linear city that's going to be able to show all these brutal transitions rather than one space being for instance one city center or one industrial zone it's it's all about how they become one another how one turns into the other is it a smooth transformation or is it very brutal and i found often it's, it's brutal and i experience it a lot when when i i walk between places
0: Yes, and that's something often only a pedestrian could detect because if you're in a car, it's like I pass through a tunnel and all of a sudden I'm in the countryside or I'm in the industrial zone. As a pedestrian, you might pass through a ratty fence or over a, a drainage ditch and think, oh wow, now, now I'm in the zone where I can't buy anything, there's no bench to sit on, and there won't be ever. It's not for me. It's for trucks.
1: Uh, I grew up in a city where you could walk to everything, um, which was great, and as a teenager, I was totally autonomous walking everywhere and then I realized as soon as I ventured a little bit further it's actually walkable only in the places that have been planned to be walkable Uh, but at some point all the infrastructure that we need in our world needs to be somewhere and at some point it's going to create let's call them no-go zones for pedestrians Um, and that was also very influential in in my world the discovery in my work the discovery that at some point, you're going to be stuck and you actually can't go everywhere. There's areas where you're supposed to be in and areas where you're not supposed to be in. And the drawings, in a way, it's a way for me to reconquer these spaces where I can't go. I can't explore them, but I can draw them.
0: Especially with the, the massive car rail infrastructure, places where there it would just be a kilometer of barriers or things that you can't even scale as a person. Not only access is denied, but mobility is denied. There's not something a guy with two legs and without, you know, the ability to leap certain heights could get through.
1: Well, I've experienced that in Canada. When I arrived here, I lived in the suburbs for four months, and I'd never lived in in something like a North American suburb. And one of the first weeks there, I decided there was a giant Canadian flag that you would see in the distance. So I decided to walk to it, and it looked like it was closed and I was walking not at all where I was supposed to walk. I was going in a straight line across the suburbs, and I gave up on a Home Depot, behind a Home Depot, and the flag was really close by, but I had no idea how to get around the railroad to get to it. It was really sad, I didn't make it.
0: Have you ever been to Los Angeles? I have not. I grew up in Los Angeles, that's where my family's from. The deceptive thing about Los Angeles, it's that it's very pedestrian friendly, Because it has sidewalks everywhere that no one uses and no expectation that you will use them. They're very unsupervised. I've had that experience where I'm like, can I get to that? And you just walk directly and you'll run into obstacles like here is a 50 foot wide drainage ditch. But there's a path that the deer use to get or the coyotes use to get through and uh, you punch through a fence. And there's, you know, a parking lot the size of 10 football pitches. You know, you're not supposed to be there, but no one's there either. So it's just a totally empty land. Like, the car is what they, what they designed the city for. But if you're the person with any patience, you can really get anywhere. When I fly into the city, my favorite thing to do is walk into and out of the airport. Nobody does that because it's, you know, why would you? But I just love hiking up my backpack and there's sidewalks. It's uncomfortable. There's no shelter for you, but you do have a sidewalk next to a lot of traffic. And if you're willing to keep your elbows away from the high-speed traffic, then you're free to do it.
1: You're more free in a sense. You have more mobility, even, even though it's dangerous in a sense. Exactly, um,
0: yeah.
1: I, w- I was reading a, a, a book which, which uh, has been quite influential in my work, and they, the book starts like that. They, the authors follow the future subway that's going to go around Paris. It's kind of the first subway that's going to avoid the city center and, and go around the suburbs. And it starts at the airport, and the first chapter in, in the book, so they follow on foot what's going to be the, the future subway. And the first chapter in the book is, OK, we start at the airport. How do we get out of here on foot? And it's several pages long on, on how they struggled to, to get out on foot. Yeah. The book, I'm not sure if it's been translated in English. It's called Le Piéton du Grand Paris. Um, and the author is Guy-Pierre Chaumette. And it's it's been really influential. They they explore the suburbs without any for uh, judgment at first. They just describe what they see and the people they they meet so there's one writer and one photographer and it's it's been very influential for me i, I found that they we had a very similar way to see the city
0: as in it, you're not supposed to walk it but they did and that seems to be your ethos too <laughs> just just start walking see what happens exactly yeah is it c-h-o-m-e-t-t-e Chomet? Yes. A book that influenced me looking at the cities, its infrastructure, a field guide to the industrial landscape by a guy who traveled across the United States and took pictures of things that he didn't understand. How does that grain silo work? Why are there three lines on the electrical tower? What is happening in the railroad switchyard? Took pictures of it all and then called the people who maintain it and they explained to him what it does. It was fascinating for me because I had the same thought. I'm like, what is that big can-looking thing on the you know side of the pole? It's like, oh, that's a transformer. What is happening in the substation? He notes in the book, like, well, this book was written in the 90s. You're not allowed to walk up to this stuff anymore due to increased security concerns. I live next to a bunch of infrastructure. There's a, a decommissioned nuclear plant. There's uh, enormous transmission towers to move electricity around. There's an old quarry where they used to dig out limestone. This stuff is, of course, unfriendly to pedestrians, but it's all been grown over with vegetation so it's our weird nature reserve of the most industrial landscape with the least because you know the trees have taken over again so I love that contrast
1: and you're able to walk there freely or I find that the answer I'm an architect or even better I'm an architecture student," always gets you out of trouble
0: have you been stopped <laughs>
1: like so so many times because I take pictures of everything and they've been stopped more in residential neighborhoods than in in neighbors where I'm, where pedestrians are not are not supposed to to be. But in residential neighborhoods, if you take pictures, people get very concerned.
0: There will be sidewalks and mailboxes and affordances for people, and you're supposed to be there, and you're taking pictures, and that makes you suspect, as opposed yes. to you being <laughs> in the complete desolate area with just rail- <laughs> railways going past. Exactly. Interesting. Is that in France?
1: Yes, in France I've been asked for lots.
0: <laughs> Did you continue doing the same thing in Canada, Texas?
1: Yeah, ev- everywhere I, I, I go, I, I walk and I, I take pictures. I find people in Canada haven't really been asking me what I'm doing, which is, which is great. <laughs> I've been very influenced by the, the maps. Like, as, as a kid, for instance, we had in the car a map book of France. Like, every page is a different region and so, and it was so precise and it was not made it was made to look good only to look clear so that people would understand where they were going. And I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen because it was so, I, I don't know what to say. The aesthetics of it were not calculated, but yet it was very, so I, I've, I've always been fascinated by this as well. It was not IGN, it was a, it was a private company. I think it was called Blade um... Do you still have this book? I think not, and I've regretted throwing it. I even looked for it on eBay, like 1990s friends atlas. It was so influential, it started to, I, for instance, it would stop at the border with other countries, and so the roads would, would lead to nowhere. There was no turn to the next page to see what happens in Italy or Spain. So what I did as a kid, I, I put a paper next to the page and I started continuing the roads as if, as if I was inventing a new country. Uh, and it was so hard to get to that um, to get to that same level so that you would you would not make difference between my page and and the actual plan uh, and, I, and I trained a lot and it comes back to what we said earlier. People often ask me how I come I can make it so detailed. And I think it 's just practice hours and even years of practice because I can see the results at the beginning. It was just like just scribbles as any kids would do of cars and trains i would see and it evolved and year by year i can see the progress and so when you say that everyone could make a map i i i do i do believe it And i I often uh, answer this that uh, everyone could could draw it's it's just a a matter of the one thing you choose to focus yourself on
0: so you try to match the style eventually of the map that ended
1: yes but the landscape was totally it, it, it was not a representation of what was actually on the other side of the border. It was totally invented, but I tried to match the style. And uh, eventually, I got to pretty good results, but I have lost, I have lost this part of the work, unfortunately. <laughs> oh. But it's the same idea as always extending the drawings.
0: I found that if you put totally imaginary things into the visual language of the official map, then people believe it. There's a, a guy on Instagram I love, uh, San Yadis, S-A-N-Y-A-D-I-S and I think he's a, like a German teenager and he's making an entirely imagined city or country in the style of the official German roadmaps
1: Oh really? Oh that's fun
0: and It's because there's a lot of people who make imaginary maps and there's a lot of people who make real maps, but no one I know has made an imaginary map that perfectly mimics a real map. It has everything, all the you know, urban areas, topologically correct transit lines, highway mm. interchanges, labels.
1: Cool. And he's, he's using uh, the same techniques? Or is, is...
0: No, he's not using geographic data like I would. He just uh, contrives it and draws it, which is even more impressive illustrators have a lot more in common with the cartographers of two hundred years ago than they do with the cartographers of today because two hundred years ago you start with a blank page and you lay down your ink and your marks today a cartographer starts with every single road every single lake every single rail line and then removes what they do not need to show and this crea- this makes it much easier to make a map it's how i make maps but it removes the craft in that a human eye has not traveled over every inch of the map yes. as it would 200 years ago. Nobody cherishes a map made after 1980, when the age of computers started, because they can detect it's not a work of illustration or craft anymore, it's a computer output. But that's why I'm always glad when people are making maps the hard way, like you with your ink city and this kid with his imagined city made in vectors. I've interviewed Kirsten Sparenborg, who makes maps in watercolors. You can detect immediately, oh, this is a map worth cherishing because it has a human hand and human eye over every part of it. There's no shortcut.
1: Yes, and sometimes it can be problematic in the sense. There's a little blank, a tiny little blank of two centimeters by one centimeter, and I don't know what to put there. <laughs> it's, yeah, what, what should we put there? Because everything has to be full, as it is in the real cities, unless unless you're on Watcher, which I usually leave blank. Uh, Otherwise, there's always something.
0: Yeah, and that's a need for composition. Like, even old maps, where most of the map was blank, they didn't know where anything was. That didn't stop them from filling in illustrations, little sea monsters, giant letters and things, and no one was mad at them for it, like, oh, you're lying. They understood that this is, first, an aesthetic object, and second, a representation of the world. I feel it's kind of sad that it's inverted today that maps have never been so authoritative and also so ugly
1: I often struggle to find maps that I, that I like, like the official roadmaps, I, I don't exactly know what it is, I always thought it was more like the, the phones chosen, I, I don't know there's something that I don't really like about them I, I, I like a lot like the, the IGN maps I, but then when I'm trying to buy other maps I, I don't really like them, I don't know why
0: there's something lost. I think the official maps made by the Swiss cartographic agency are the best modern ones. Even their just standard road maps are very beautiful and well designed. It's hard to find modern maps with that kind of soul.
1: Okay. Well, I'll look. I'll definitely look these ones up to add to my collection. <laughs> I hope that this conversation was good to make a podcast. Sorry to went a little bit in all different directions. Not very linear.
0: Well, that's the best part about the format. You can ramble as much as you want. When people listen to podcasts, they are driving or cooking or not paying full attention. Thank you so much, Gabriel, for taking the time to talk to me and have a wonderful trip.
1: Thanks. Have a good day as well.
0: You can see Gabriel's art on Instagram at GabrielCamu.art, G-A-B-R-I-E-L c-a-m-u-s dot art for show notes and bonus content visit very this episode is brought to you by the map consultancy supplier of professional data driven maps for your decks reports walls and events visit themapconsultancy.com to see what good maps can do for you i'm evan applegate i'm a cartographer and you should make your own maps No one wants to see dull, ugly maps. If you want to get through to your customers, you need the best cartography money can buy. The Map Consultancy will create maps with your data and your branding, PowerPoint decks, annual reports, conferences and events, your office walls. The Map Consultancy does it all. Visit themapconsultancy.com and get the best maps today.